everybody welcome to the 277th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling live and direct from beaverton oregon about to talk about the portland trailblazers and uh how was your super bowl you you texted me like it's a great day just to eat junk food so what did you eat my friend uh have you ever had that ranch pizza place yet ranch pizza is my absolute shit i love ranch pizza Oh, they have one of the best veggie pizzas I've ever had. They, they bake it. I don't know what they do. It's on focaccia, but it comes in like thicker squares and that shit hits their, their tomato sauce is chef's kiss. It's, it's, it's one of my top three pizzas in Portland. Yeah. So I had that and, uh, I was going to open a bag of popcorn, but I was like, I had too much pizza. I'm going to chill and drink, try and drink water and relax. But yeah, I I had a a good portion of a rant's pizza by myself today, which you know what? It's a Super Bowl. It only happens it's once a year. Cool. I mean, and, and just I, I don't care about either game. So it was just like, I mean, I, I would like Burrow to do well. I'd like Stafford to do well. Like Stafford paid his dues playing for the just shitty Detroit Lions team forever. So he deserves one shot at happiness. So it was like, either way, it's all good. I don't really care about who wins and who loses. I just want them all to do well, but I just wanted a good game. I wanted to watch the commercials and I was excited for the halftime show. The halftime show was pretty sick. I got way too many uh, messages. Do you like Eminem? I'm like, not really, <laughs> not really. I don't really care for him. I might've when I was 12, but the zippity doo rhymes of, of then don't really hit the same now. So you know, like I, I was, I got way too many Eminem messages on all the socials and my texts. I'm like, God damn it. Don't you know who my favorite rapper is? Of course I don't like him. <laughs> I was, I, I, I was excited for, for Kendrick. So that was, I was glad to see him. And then obviously Mary J. Blige. Um, that was awesome. I can't think of the name of the song, but it's, it's the, we don't need no hater raiders. Oh, please cut that. Oh my God. No, you're cutting it. Uh, but also like Dre and Snoop putting out the classics. I was telling Olga and I was like, Dr. Dre has been doing this since I was born. I'm about to turn 37 this year. And they're just now giving his, this man his due on the NFL stage, like way, way past due. So, well, they, uh, they were, st- you know, the, the J- Janet Jackson incidents really made the NFL very cautious about, you know, having entertainers that are, I wasn't say they're for the older audience, but you know, this was for the eighties and nineties kids too. So we're part of that older audience, but they were just trying to, you know, be as safe as possible with all those white guitar playing guys for the last like 10 years. So it was good to see hip hop get its uh, recognition in a, a very big stage. But at the same time, it's like, damn, I remember listening to this shit when I was like eight, finding my brother's, you know, CD of the chronic, enjoying it. Cause I listened to hip hop really early, you know, to see hip hop have its, have its day in like the biggest stage ever. It was great. I just wish that Pepsi and Dr. Dre got away for like the Tupac 
you know, hologram to do something because it kept showing this white six four, and I'm like, okay, this is where it happens. This is where it happens. Nah. Well, and then on the piano, he was playing "I Ain't Mad at You," and I was like, okay, what's coming? Like you, I felt like they should have paid more homage to Tupac. You had almost all of these, you know, Los Angeles, Southern California rappers like getting their flowers. I thought it was only fitting that 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 he did something for for Tupac, whether it's just like a five or ten second verse that comes over the speakers, just just something a little bit more that that's what I wanted to see. Do you think Tupac's a good MC? Uh yeah. Oh, okay. I've, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say something super, super off the wall, but I don't like he's not near my top 15, 20, 30. Like he he's very passionate, but I don't think he's, yeah, I, I, I don't I mean, even think he rhymes real well. He put out a lot of music because obviously he was trying to get out of those record deals. So, I mean, if you listen to an album, there's going to be a lot of skips. But when I was a kid, I got the the greatest hits, and that oh, was like so a, you 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 found the the good shit. Oh yeah, I mean that's I mean that's all you really need to listen to when you find an artist you like. Like you don't need to listen to if you, there's a shitty song, skip it. Don't feel obligated to listen to it. So if you can put out thirty tracks where I'm constantly like, yeah, I mean, I, I just. I think he's he's really passionate. I think he's got pretty good range. Obviously, I think I like I'm not a fan of like the hit him up type stuff, but I mean, how long were they more? Me's probably like my favorite one with mm-hmm. Nate Dogg and Mac 10. Um, he's just got some good, good, good tracks. Like I, he, I think he definitely has some good tracks. I just don't know if he's like, you know, the the quote unquote mc's mc type of thing and you know that's yeah, that that's I mean, more I'm my not into, you know me i'm not into t- to debating like who's the best or who's an mc if you, if you like them you like them and life's too short to worry about what other people think just listen to what you like uh if i don't like it i don't like it that don't mean that i'm hating <laughs> is that a cannabis line no that's a common line i think oh okay yeah i think yeah yeah i think it's like that's an old school common sense line I, i'm just so you know, programmed into thinking every time. I oh hear yeah, I, I, no, like I've absolutely made you think that every time I quote a hip hop anything, it's Saint Germain. But no, this was not like, cannabis. That was that. I think that was common. Like first, like ninety, ninety five, ninety six, common. Anyway, can I, can I borrow a dollar? Common. Yeah, yeah. I think it was. I I think that was it. But I, you know. I have All that right. on vinyl, so I will I will pay attention next time I listen to that for see if I can get it's that. It's a line. very it's a very like sampleable, you know, few words. So it, you've definitely heard it if you've listened to hip hop before. But I don't know if people really want to hear us talk about uh, hip hop. They uh, should. They- <laughs> if they've listened to our our show for 200, 277 episodes, that they better damn well know they're going to get some hip hop and some two K and some food talk. Like, come oh, bro. On the, the 2K, I decided to try and do, you know, I got level 40 on the, the my player version. And now I'm trying to get level 40 on the uh, my card, my team thing, you know, the card based games. And I'm just like, there's 14 days left and I'm like two levels away from greatness. And then I'm playing guys that are like trying really hard with like week one cards. And I'm just like, guys, let's just cheat. You don't need to try and guard me. Let's just cheat. Stand away from me and let me shoot threes. And I will stand away from you and let you shoot threes. This this, this trying to play hard when I have such more, uh, better dominant cards than you is crazy. 
Like I'm I'm playing pr- with prime Joe Johnson and you have Yuta Watanabe. We are not the same. <laughs> so what does cheating accomplish? Do you both get your points? Yeah, so like to get higher in the 2K things, you have to accomplish like score 40 points with ISO Joe. So I'm trying to score my 40 points with ISO Joe and they're like actually guarding me. And I'm like, this is 10 seconds that doesn't need to be happening because I can get by. Like Yuta is not stopping prime Atlanta Hawks ISO Joe when I'm, I know how to dribble. So it was just like, okay, let's, let's, let's kill this kid's confidence. I'm like, let's just cheat, just cheat. Like if, if we're trying to build the same thing, let's cheat to get it. Not me have to embarrass you and take two minutes longer. Anyway. Yeah. I'm, I'm level 38, 39 on the battle pass. So I'm very excited. And I am almost done beating Luigi's mansion three. So big, big days coming ahead for both of us on, on the gaming systems. Yeah. I'm going to get that. I'm going to get that level 40 reward with the Yao Ming and be really annoying with that. All right. Let's look back at the week that was in the Rose city. Portland had three home games. They lost by 18 to the Orlando magic on Wednesday, followed on Tuesday, followed up with a victory over the Lakers 107, 105. And then a Saturday matinee, they defeated the New York Knicks in a comeback 112, 103. The Blazers stand 23 and 34 on the year. Somehow, some way, they are back in the 10th spot in the Western Conference, a place not many people really want to see them, but that's where they're at. They are three games behind the Lakers, and the race for 10th is heating up. The Pelicans are a game or a half game behind. The Spurs are a full game, and the Kings are a game and a half behind the Blazers. So they're potentially four teams vying for trying to avoid who really knows with this new play-in scenario that 10th spot in the western conference sage what was your good for the week i think my good for this week was seeing how impactful josh hart is as a basketball player because when i watched him in the pelicans like he's the third fourth option so you don't really get to see what he's really as like a driver and a playmaker against the Knicks, I had to remember the team, he got to show that he could be that secondary playmaker for the team and having multiple playmakers in games, like especially in high leverage games, is going to be really, really uh, valuable. So especially with Ant's difficulties in getting to the lane and making that pass and then Chauncey Billups talking about drive, kick, kick, having a guy that who can legitimately do that it sucks if you're on team tank today, but in high leverage spots in the future, you're going to be really happy that Josh Hart can play make and make some things happen in late shot clock. And I, I was watching the game and it was like, okay, he is making plays here that do not show in the sat seats at all. But if you watched it, it's like, that was really impactful. That box out to allow Yusuf to get his 20th rebound really uh, impactful. So Josh Hart showing his abilities is my good for the week. Mine is some decency that we saw out of the front office, mostly by Joe Cronin and team working with CJ McCollum on a trade that worked for CJ McCollum. CJ put in eight, nine years in Portland 
knew his time was about to come. You read it in his Players' Tribune article. He didn't get Woj bombed. He didn't get, you know, a bunch of texts or, or calls out of the blue saying you've been moved. He even spent the last day, you know, hanging out with Dame. He was going to go in and, you know, leave everyone a uh, signed jersey and, you know, say his goodbyes. Leaving on good terms is, is very underrated. And I think, um, I think it's just a good thing for CJ. Like he, he deserved that. Like he, he's been an employee of the trailblazers for, you know, eight seasons. He's fifth all time on, on the, on the team scoring leader board. Um, It just makes me happy that, you know, he was able to leave on his terms, kind of uh, leave the blazers in, in a peaceful manner, like being the subject of trade rumors for the past four or five seasons can really grind on your mentals. And so to know that it's coming and not be blindsided and to go to a situation that you're happy to go to, um, especially when you have a family, a, a newborn, you just put down your white, your vineyard roots. Um, he even said it's his second home. So I, I thought that was really, just really wonderful. Like you hear about the business side and how it's shady and you, you've, we've heard Neil O'Shea tell Eric Gordon, you're not getting traded from the Clippers. And then Eric Gordon finding out on the bus, you've been traded. Uh, you've seen players dealt in games. Uh, it, it just, it can be really sleazy. And so to go from where, what Portland had in Neil O'Shea to now what they have in Joe Cronin, whether you liked the deals or not, I think decency humanity to it. Yeah, I think decency is a step in the right direction. And, so and I, I mean, Norman Powell and Robert Covington don't go to equally bad shitter teams. They go to a competing franchise that's winning something. And then, you know, besides the turf toe, like they're contributing to a, a winning organization. That, that, that shows some decency that you and I are not used to as Blazers fans. Also, the common quote was from like water for chocolate. Okay. But uh, yeah, so I, I mean, I, I think that that is definitely a good for this week for uh, the humanity of this 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 business, because just like record labels, NBA teams are shady. Nice one. What was your bad for the week? Us winning games. Like if you're if your team tank, us winning is a complete and total negative. You know, like there's times where like that win or loss is incredibly dramatic for uh tank positioning like i remember the warriors lost this game they were going to get the seventh pick and if they won there was like the eighth and they lost and got clay thompson so in these draft times with the lottery being what it is losses are really important so i don't want to like tell anybody how to be a fan or anything like that but if you're thinking about the draft and how important this draft is for future flexibility. I mean, like we traded CJ McCollum for a first round pick, right? You got to hope that that pick and our pick are bad or good, whatever, however you, the most lottery odds, the wins great for us, uh, uh, great for fans that are hoping for wins. But if you are team tank, it's kind of a bummer. Yeah, and I think uh, the word tank has a negative connotation when, when when I'm thinking of it and, you know, just following the team, I'm kind of like committed to it. Like I'm throwing this season out the door, whatever happens, happens. But the, the light at the end of the tunnel is those ping pong balls 
and just pure statistically uh, what happened from Portland winning those two games. They are now uh, ninth in the, the draft lottery simulator. Had they lost those games, Sage, they would be sitting sixth. And just the statistical difference right now, we would have a 20.3% chance at a top four pick. Had we lost those games, that jumps up to 37.2%. So you're absolutely right. Every game is so crucial. And so I get it. There's a lot of short-term satisfaction, but the crazy thing is when the, the new year hit to 2022, I was like, oh man, it's been 30 years since the Blazers have made the NBA finals. And it's like, that's a long time. And I don't know how many eras I have left in me. Like I'm, I'm now 37. I want to see the, the team win big when it matters. Like there haven't been many eras since I've been a fan for, you know, 30 plus years. You had the early nineties teams, then they slowly transitioned. You had the 12 deep blazers, a little bit of a downturn. Then you had the rise with us blazers with B Roy, LaMarcus and Greg. And then that flipped pretty quickly into the Dame era, which we're currently in eras take a long time. And I don't know how many Portland has left. And I, you know, I want to, I want to see something. Like it's been 30 years and I since the Blazers made the finals. It's been 22 years since they've been close to making the finals. I mean, it, I, maybe it's just the the moment and you know, just getting done watching that Super Bowl and, and knowing that the Cincinnati Bengals had the professional sports longest playoff drought basically quenched uh when they won their first uh wild card weekend over the Raiders. And that was their first playoff victory, I think, in like 30, 31 years. I'm just, I, you know, I was thinking about them while I was watching that game. And I was like, I really hope they win. Like their fans have had to wait and wait and just, just wait an excruciating amount of time. I feel like, and especially because they're a small market, you know, I kind of always, you know, rock with those small market franchises being in Portland. So Anything we can do to expedite that process or give us the best possible odds at getting a game changer so you can realistically feel like you're going to have a shot at competing, you know, that, that's what I'm all in for. So I, I absolutely agree with you on the bad for. And, w- and one thing about the draft positioning in this Tangathon newest mock that was updated eight days ago, I would say that. AJ Griffin is a tier two prospect and Keegan Murray is a tier four prospect. AJ Griffin's selected with the Spurs pick at seven. We would drop down to Keegan Murray and the guy that we talked about him, Benedict Matherin, two guys that don't have star potential. So if you're thinking about like, that's a, that's a huge drop in tiers between two and four. That's like, if you're wanting to improve the team, there's not that many like, players with star potential and if you're if you're gonna suck you at least want your guys to, that you're drafting to have star potential I don't think Keegan Murray has any star potential and Benedict Matherin has a very direct route of achieving it but are we going to change everything we do to help some off-ball shooter achieve his highest of heights no yeah I will say though, I, we, we may have, uh, pre, I, I'll be excited to do another episode of Benedict Matherin because he is absolutely on fire recently, uh, especially for the Arizona Wildcats, just running through 
the Pac-12. So that's why it's also fun to do the early season games and then check back later and see how the players are performing because they're young, they have potential, they're, they're showing their growth. Um, so yeah. I, Did you know Keegan Murray is 21.5 years old today? That's a that's a very old sophomore too, BT dubs. Probably redshirted. Yeah. Yeah. Iowa um, has not played. I wish I had the foresight to be like, you know what? Pandemic be damned. If this game is in Portland, let's go to the PSU Iowa game to see us get creamed. My bad for the week. I would say I gave Joe Cronin credit for my good. I'm going to, you know, Dustin giveth, Dustin taketh away. Uh, I don't see the vision. Um, And what I mean by that is you look at the trades that the Blazers made in in totality. And, and we recorded right after that, that Clippers trade. And I don't think either of us were, you know, super keen on it, but we, you know, wanted to, to hold our judgment until we saw the, the big picture, because maybe there was another plan to, to be had, but it still feels like the Blazers aren't certain of, of what direction they want to go. Um, and what I mean by that is, is you look at that, that follow-up trade with New Orleans. So you have the you, you get Nikhil Alexander Walker and you flip him. You just move him for you know salary cap clearance and you get Elijah Hughes and a second round pick. And I was like, okay, you know, that makes sense if you're trying to clear the books for next year and, and have a ton of cap space, but you weren't able to find a, a, a home for, for Eric Bledsoe in his $3.9 million non-guaranteed contract next season. You weren't able to move off of Justice Winslow, who has another year on his deal. You didn't move Yusuf Nurkic, and now he's going to have a pretty uh, substantial cap hold, at least $18 million. So, okay, is the avenue... So the avenue clearly can't be cap space then because you didn't do everything you could to clear up money off your books. Okay, if the avenue isn't cap space, is it... You know, are you going to use your trade exception or are you going to try and, you know, win a little bit now? Are you going to try and get more prospects or picks? I mean, to only get one draft pick when you move four starters, that's uh, a little bit tough to swallow um, looking at it. I think going back to, to next year when trying to get money off of the books, there's a reason that they moved Larry Nance. And, you know, he has to have surgery. So they, they definitely sold low on Larry. But if you're going to sell low on Larry Nance, why not do whatever you can to really clear the books off of off of um, 20 this summer? So it just I it's almost like you're in school and your professor or your teacher, you know, you're writing a paper and their feedback is, well, you made a good point here and you made a good point here. But how did you get from here to here? Like it's a, it's almost like it's a bunch of thoughts, not really thought out and put together in, in that structure from, okay, point A, point B, point C, I see the vision. I'm still not sure what the vision is with this team, how they're going to um, address the needs of the roster. I mean, because you really gave up all of your assets and now this is the, the team you have to show for. I think it's better than doing nothing because the, the bar was the bar was pretty low. I think we all can admit that. Um, and he did some good things in, in clearing off of McCollum's money and Powell's money. But Sage, if, if that Pelicans pick does not convey, there's not a whole lot to show from trading Larry Nance, Robert Covington, Norman Powell, 
and CJ McCollum. Like that, that's, that, that's a bit rough. So I don't think it was the worst trade deadline for Portland in the world, but again, I, I'm not seeing what, what they were going to do. I thought there was a, a lot, a lot more meat on the bones. He got a lot of the stuff done, but the stuff around the edges, it, he didn't achieve. I don't know, man. We've dealt with so many disappointing free agencies and draft classes. I'm kind of used to it. So I think it's like a C. I don't, <clears throat> I'm not rioting in the streets about this trade deadline. No, this team's not worth rioting for. I, I would say, like, our top two objectives leading up to the deadline you got to trade Covington and you got to trade Nurk. Like, you have to get something of value so they don't just, just walk. They at least got Keon Johnson for. For Covington, it's it's a tough well, pill where to were, swallow. Where were the trades for use of going to be once they traded nothing for Harold, uh, and then they got Thaddeus Young for the uh, Raptors? Where was the team that desperately needed a center? Oh, I, I fully believe Joe Cronin was not pushing Nurkic on the market. So I think that's where Toronto went. I, that that's my my theory because it, it's tough to really. You, you and I aren't there, so I, I hope to God that he was trying to push everybody in. And it's it's you mentioned you mentioned Thad Young, Thad Young getting a first round pick and not getting a first for for Rocco, tough scene. That that's why. With how bad Rocco has played this year, I mean, Norman Powell not getting us a first round pick is way worse than Robert Covington. E- either way, like. I mean, I guess we're going to transition right into my ugly, which is that Clippers trade. I was very patient and reserved and was hoping there were follow-up deals, but Bledsoe, you, you don't even get an expiring contract in that. Justice Winslow, who has looked good, I will give him that, but again, money on the books for next season. And How Keon Johnson, money? who I was really bummed to find out is not even going to play for a couple of weeks because of an ankle injury. Um, and now he's kind of buried on the depth chart as well. You, you give away two pretty good trade chips and th- that, that trade bad. I mean, especially when yeah, it's, it's, it's much against, worse than it's much yeah, worse. It's, it's than, significantly uh, worse than the new Orleans and yeah. the Utah trades. So no, there there's, it's hard to, to defend that, that trade. I think the best part about it is you get out of Powell's deal, but you and I both believe he had a much a better market for that. And I think that the thing that's tough to hear about that is Joe on the, the press conference afterwards, I was in my car listening to it saying teams had, had the leverage against us because they knew we needed to get under the luxury tax. Well, go find another trade. Like you made that move a week before the deadline. Like don't let the Clippers hold you hostage of all franchises. Like figure something out. You're the GM, bro. So that, that was tough to hear that it sounded like he kind of settled on that trade just to check off the box of, oh, we're under the luxury tax. Now we can do this. Um, because by all by all intents and purposes, the, the Pelicans and the Blazers seemed like very cordial trade partners. And I, I don't think anything was going to deter that that deal from, from getting done. So, um, you know, I guess that's what happens when you have a first-time GM kind of initiating a pretty significant teardown. Yeah, I, I mean, dog, I, I'm not, I, we're not there. We don't know what it was. It was a bad trade, but this is the team that we're running with. And, you know, hopefully Keon can get past his injury issues. Hopefully Eric Bledsoe can chill in LA. Like this is the team that we're going to watch for the next, however many weeks or months. Like uh, one of uh, 
and I have a second ugly, and it's more of a, of a, of a comedic variety. During the, the press conference with Joe Cronin, um, mentioned that the team values Joe Ingalls' bird rights. And it reminded me of the movie Billy Madison, where you have Chris Farley as the creepy bus driver, Adam Sandler as Billy Madison, and Chris Farley, you know, holding his hand out to stop Billy. And he lets the really, really good looking teacher uh, on the school bus. And he insinuates that he's either hooked up with her or his friend has. And Adam Sandler's like, no, you didn't. It didn't happen. That was my exact voice when I heard Joe Cronin say they value Joe Ingalls' bird rights. I'm like, no, you don't, bro. He has a $20 million cap hold. He made $13 million this year. He's not coming close to doing that. So if you truly believe that free agency is an avenue to build this team, you're not keeping $20 million on your books for Joe fucking Ingles. Like it was just, it was comedic. I was like, Joe Ingles is not playing a minute for this franchise. He's, he's washed. Oh yeah. He's, he's regressed completely and totally. It's just a name people know. So it's not like I, I if I did listen to it, it would have been like, well, he's not going to say somebody that people know is never going to set foot in the Blazers roster or on the court for us. They didn't even give him a number in the like there's no point he's chilling like he probably showed up in his chilling in his utah man he's probably sitting there as he should be rooting for the utah jazz like he's he's a member of the jazz he's going to sign there in free agency he knew he he did them a solid yeah he told them trade me you i can't i can't help you now i'm injured for the year so yeah he did um, them a solid it's not like yeah so I, i thought that was just uh comedic because there's there's no chance zero like yeah do you think Eric Bledsoe sets foot on the court this year? I mean, I, I really don't know. I think the backcourt for young talent is a bit crowded with the addition of Elijah Hughes and Josh Hart. Now you have CJ Ellaby. And then when Keon Johnson comes back, obviously you're going to play Ant. Dennis Smith Jr.'s played uh, serviceable. Yeah, like, he, he was the reason we beat the Lakers with all those stocks. And Eric Bledsoe will not be on the team next year nope. because you can't have Eric Bledsoe at $3.9 million and him play for your team. You have to say, we're cutting you before a certain date so you won't be on the team. That's how we only have to pay you about $4 million on our cap. So I it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I think he's, I again, I think he should be a buyout candidate, um, but... I'm not Joe Cronin. I, not, I don't yeah, know. We're, we don't. We're not Jody Allen. We can't. We we don't have the money to make the buyout happen. I, I mean, mean, the buyout would save the Blazers money. I mean, that's it's more. Does Eric Bledsoe want to just sit and chill? Because I I just I don't think fifteen million dollars is kind of nice to to chill with. Yeah, just chill. Like he, he knows no one's going to pick up his option next year either. I mean, he's fully aware of that. So he's going to be a free agent to sign wherever he wants. Like. The season's over in about two months. I mean, it, it'll be one, two, three Cancun for him in no time. I remember with the Clippers, like I was always like, all right, well, Eric, Eric had such a difficult time keeping his rotation minutes because they were just finding any way in hell for Terrence Mann or Luke Kennard to just steal all of his spots, all of his rotation minutes. So eventually it was a really profitable thing for me to go over on the one rebound per game prop for Eric Bledsoe and he'd get his one and a half rebounds a game, get the fuck back on the bench and boom, I made like, if I bet five, I got eight. Like it was just an easy, 
easy $3 bet every time the Clippers played. It would have been nice to have the, the, the expiring contract, but yeah, getting paid I mean, three point five like, million to go away it sounds pretty nice. If yeah, I was there, that, that's why it would have been, you know, nice to to look at those the books because I mean Portland is still paying Andrew Nicholson's contract because they they have one more next year. Next year is the last year, so that's unfortunate that they decided to. Um, and I get that Joe Cronin has no. Um, that wasn't his problem. That was not his call. He may have been on the staff, but that was not his call. Um, but yeah, next year you're looking at, you know, Dame's making about $43 million. Josh Hart, uh, 13 million. Anthony Simons is going to get paid. Justice is making 4 million, 2.8 to Nicholson, 2.7 to Keon. Nasir gets 4.1. Uh, Didi Ludoza gets 1.8. Uh, Greg Brown, 1.5. And then if you want to bring back Wadford, if you want to bring back CJ Ellaby, if you want to bring back Nurk. So the cap space quickly evaporates unless unless Portland takes drastic measures now that they really failed to get off of Bledsoe, get off of Winslow, move off of Nurk's cap hold. So I'm, I'm less enthused about the prospects of going into free agency and more intrigued about how they use that trade exception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I see people being excited about uh, <clears throat> justice. Yeah. He, he's contributing. I, I keep seeing people say, you don't want him to shoot, but he can do a lot of other things. But it's like when you have so many players on your team that you can use that as their main, the main comparing thing. Oh, you don't want him to shoot. But he can do a lot of other things. We we can say that for Nurkic, Greg Brown, Trenton Watford, Nasir, uh, Justice, Eric Bledsoe, uh, Dennis Smith Jr. We have a lot of non-shooters on this team still. Um, I was listening to a podcast about uh, with uh, Fred Foyberg, and he was like, spacing is the most important thing in the league. And I'm like, damn, <laughs> we don't have that at all. Yeah, Fred Hoiberg was on a uh, like the a basketball coach's podcast that I listen to when I can't sleep. And I'm like, oh God, I'm thinking about our stupid bad roster in terms of shooting. It, it's going to be very interesting how Cronin, if he's still the general manager, it handles all of that uh for uh the Portland Trailblazers. So do you think Justice is a keeper? I personally don't want him on the team, but if if he's on the team, he's on the team, and it doesn't it isn't like the biggest burden in the world since it's four million. But if if I had my druthers, he'd be gone. What he does best, he has the ball in his hands. You're gonna take the ball out of the hands of Josh Hart, Damian Lillard, and Anthony Simons, and then whoever we draft. Don't you want to give every rep possible for development of potentially two first round picks? I don't want Justice Winslow to take any of the potential reps from any of those guys that are developing. So he's basically our pseudo power forward the rest of the season. Is there any, is there any chance he could continue that role moving forward into the next season? Like I'm what, what I'm envisioning is kind of playing the role Larry Nance was brought into. I don't think he's good enough to do that. Or he's not tall enough. He is definitely not tall enough. I feel like his per the perfect role is like, Kyle Anderson for uh, yeah. 
Memphis. from Memphis. Every time you take the ball out of Jaw's hands and give it to Kyle Anderson, isn't that a huge negative for Grizzlies role? I think he's he's an NBA player. It's just he needs the ball, and we can't do that right now. So right now he's 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 kicking ass because he has the ball and there's usage. Think about what he's going to do, what he's going to be when Damian Lillard's back and we have Ant and Josh Hart and Nasir Little, two first-round picks, hopefully. He's going to be standing in the corner, and it's going to be like Kent Bazemore, where teams are just cheating off of him because he can't do anything with the shooting. When you're that tier of player, shooting is really, really, really important. And if he can't do it, they're going to cheat off of him, and it's just going to be like Kent Bazemore or Nas this year this year where he's just not a threat so they don't they don't defend him if it was me i would just make him as tradable as humanly possible and hope we can fleece some team to give us an actually good asset for him like look what look what he did in these 20 minutes a game as the power forward couldn't you imagine that being him for your team get his value as high as you can and maybe you can get a good second round pick off of him because it doesn't have another year of on his contract. Justice is getting paid 3.9 this year and 4.1 next year. And then is an unrestricted free agent. Uh, it, Cronin has to try and sell what he can do to a, for a, a, a good team, like the playmaker off the bench that's tall. Like that's what I would do with, with uh, Justice currently. Take those shots. Take those possessions. Show what you can do. And then we'll trade you and hopefully – we can put you in a good situation. That's at least what I would be thinking, because I don't think he fits. He doesn't fit in today's space type of schemes. He can't shoot, so he has to have the ball in his hands, and he's just like a low-budget Ben Simmons. It's the same construction, except not the tier that Ben is. So, of course, there's like one or two ways for him to hit value, and we're not going to have him hit value. So given Josh Hart, Anthony Simons, probably the the starting guards, not only for the rest of the year, but maybe uh, next season as well, Keon Johnson on that rookie contract is probably a secured spot on next year's team. Just looking at the current depth chart, to me, it feels like the rest of the season is an audition to get brought back between C.J. Ellaby and Elijah Hughes. Uh, do you agree with that? And Didi, I would, I would imagine as well. Yeah, Didi is 6'5". I think Didi has more. Didi has uh, at least three years left on his contract after this year. It was it, No, yeah, it was Griff. So it, it's pretty team-friendly, though, if I Yeah, he doesn't right. exceed $2 million until the last year. Uh, both Ellaby and Hughes are uh, restricted free agents next year. I mean, what is, what is that future role going to be for the, the DD, CJ Ellerby, or Elijah Hughes? Like, is it rotation guy, like 10-minute rotation guy that, 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 that can sort of shoot? I think it's a G League spot that, okay, if, God forbid, there's another COVID variant or somebody gets hurt and you need to bring someone up, they can come in and play. Like, you're looking almost like the third or fourth string right now. Um, I think they will bring one of the two back, but I, I think it's an audition for, for either of them. I think they're both not going to break the bank, but I mean, you can't have four, four to five shooting guards. Like you, you only get so many roster spots. So clearly Portland is starting justice wins with the four. They don't really have anybody in the fold to come back. Like there, there's no Larry Nance. There, there, there's nobody else 
um, to come in starting four. They're going to have to probably either trade or draft that that player. They need to build up that that front court. So, I mean, I could see a scenario where where both of them aren't aren't brought back. Uh, it's just kind of all the, three of them. I think Didi will be just given his uh, contract. Yeah, and he's he's younger. Um, I know the team has they don't really have a whole lot invested in LB or Hughes. And I think they've each shown a little bit, but I think for their sake, it, it may be better to find another home because there's just, we're already going to be struggling to get Keon Johnson hit his time. And I think he really needs, the, he's got the highest ceiling of that bunch. So that's just kind of how I see it playing out. The team needs to be balanced in, in the off season. And the only reason I know who Elijah Hughes is because when Utah went to Toronto and didn't want to bring their good players across the border, he played 30 plus minutes, but I don't know anything about his game really. And then I really am unimpressed with CJ Ellerby as an NBA player. It honestly could be neither of them fill that role. And we bring in someone brand new, like Caleb Houston with our second pick plays that role next year. Or yeah, if you you know hit the lottery and you want to take Jaden Ivey, Jaden Ivey now becomes your your either your starting two or the direct backup until he's ready to take over because he's that high level of a prospect, and I think that would definitely push both of those uh, players down. Uh, Sage, there there were reports, and I find them pretty credible, just kind of make sense with what's been going on. That the Blazers did, did inquire about Jeremy Grant, but were turned away by the, the steepness of the price. And so I'm glad they didn't pay top of the market value as Neil O'Shea did for Robert Covington. So, you know, it seemed like Detroit wanted to like two firsts or a first in the high level prospect. Uh, Grant's going to want a, a, it turns out to be like a $28 million per year extension. And when you look at the Blazers, you know, say you keep Damian Lillard, that's 42 million. Say you bring back Anthony Simons, Let's give him Gary Trent money. That's 18 million. Uh, Nasir Little would be on a good deal, 4 million. Uh, then you would have Yusuf Nurkic, 15, 16 on, his, on a new deal. And then you're paying Jeremy Grant $28 million. Like, I don't, he could be the first, second, third, fourth. I, I just, I don't think teams can succeed with so much money into a, a starting unit like you how need bad to- would our bench be if we if we had to get we had to trade away everybody that's decent off our bench to get jeremy grant and future first we're only going to have 36 minutes of confident basketball and if, I mean, we're tra- if we have looking, jeremy grant we're trying to compete you're probably looking at a similar bench to this you're probably looking at like dennis smith probably looking at ben mclemore um probably looking at Watford, Greg Brown, maybe a, a mid-level exception as a sixth man, but you're probably having to give up, I think, Nasir Little. So then you'd have to find a new three. So you would have Josh Hart. Um, yeah, so it's, a, it's a good 36 minutes of basketball, but... I think financially, though, is, is where I have a hard time. Like, Portland really came from the dark ages in terms of what their books looked like. But it started with that summer of 2016 and they just have always been hamstrung by that. So to me, if you're not one of the four best teams with a true legitimate shot at winning a championship, you shouldn't be paying the luxury tax. You shouldn't, you know, really put those restrictions on your, your, your moves to able to, mm-hmm. to, you know, make the roster optimize. So 
I, I just I, I don't see Dame Ant, Josh Hart, Jeremy Grant, Yusuf Nurkic as a, one of the four best teams in, in, in the NBA. It's a good team, but that is a lot of money tied up. And then Sage, you just really can't benefit. You can't really improve the team. You mentioned take one of our first round picks and maybe in this year little um, and matching salary. Okay, you have that five. How else, you know, Justice Winslow would be on your bench. Probably have to bring back a bunch of guys on minimum contracts. Like, it just doesn't seem sustainable. It like, doesn't. And let's be real, Jeremy Grant looked great on that Denver team, but he didn't sign with Denver because he wanted a bigger role to utilize to show off his skill set. It would be the same role, so he would, he probably won't be that happy about being the fourth guy on in terms of usage or the third guy at best. Dame's going to take his share. Ant's going, Ant has the highest usage on the team when CJ was there. Nurk has to have high usage to be effective. So I think, yeah, he is absolutely the fourth uh, on that. If, is Portland a big enough draw for him to not play the role that he wants? I think there's going to be a time and place where there's going to be decisions that are made on higher tier players. But let's not hamstring ourselves with a guy that's potentially not going to be happy in the role. who's a little bit older. He's good, but he's not going to – I don't think he's a ceiling raiser that much. Not, it's not He's not a $28 million player. And I think you really have to – if I could have Jeremy Grant for 12 to $15 million, absolutely. I think you, you pay a similar price to what they want. I think he is a solid player at that value. When you almost triple, double, triple that, that salary, it, it comes to a point where it, it exceeds what you're willing to pay and the production just isn't there. I mean, Portland just saw that. Like, I love CJ McCollum, but he was not worth, in terms of production, 30 plus million dollars to have over $70 million tied up in two players where one's an all-star and one's one's a fringe all-star. That's not good enough. In, in the NBA, your best players, they're going to make that money, but your best players better be top 15, top 20 guys where, you know, you're going to lean on them night in and night out and build around them. I, I, I just don't, don't see that as a legitimate Avenue. Uh, and I hope Joe Cronin is, is smart enough to, to see that. Like, yeah, he's, I know Dame's pushing for him. I can guarantee Dame. Yeah, they didn't, they, they bonded in the Olympics and stuff. Yep, just like Dame pushed for Aaron Gordon. Um, like, I don't think Aaron Gordon's. is or Eric, Aaron. Is Aaron Gordon hitting value for uh, for the Denver Nuggets currently? Ever, ever. I think so. He's had he's had, he had his shining so moments, but I I I wasn't super impressed in, in that playoff run. I thought they won on the on the heels of of Nikola Jokic personally. Yeah. Like Aaron Gordon was out there to quote unquote stop Dame. Dame cooked him. I love Damian Lillard, but his what he thinks players are good or not is very questionable on other players, like other teams. I think you run a risk too when you let players dabble in their, their GM ship. I mean, just look at the this year's Lakers when LeBron and Anthony mm-hmm. Davis overrule essentially Rob Palenka instead of going after a, a shooter and Buddy Heald, they say, no, we want Russell Westbrook. And it's been an absolute disaster for that franchise. There's there's like a, that thin line of having your your star player approve like a a trade, but you know trying to get Aaron Gordon, Jeremy Grant, they're kind they're mid tier power forwards. We can find another mid tier power forward that doesn't cost nearly as much, 
you know, the, the, there's, there's, there's the relationships that players have with one another, but just because they bonded in the Olympics doesn't mean that he is the perfect fit at the salary that he's expecting and the role that he's accepting. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that all of those rumors of the Portland Trailblazers are interested in the Detroit Pistons, Jeremy Grant didn't, didn't come through this, this deadline. I would have been pissed if they traded that New Orleans pick for, for Jeremy Grant. We, we need two lottery picks in the worst way. Pivoting from the Blazers and moving towards general NBA, there were a lot of deals that went down. What, what stood out? What surprised you the most? Obviously, the James Harden to the Brooklyn uh, from the Brooklyn to uh, Philly surprised me because it was just one of those like, if you looked at it, like Shams was talking about how he wasn't happy, and then you saw Woj saying that he's dedicated to this team. So there was a lot of misinformation out there, and then it happened. And Wind- Windhorse, uh, Brand Windhorse from ESPN was also like, "Yeah, the talks are happening," and Woj was like saying no they're not so there was so much misdirection Mm -hmm. out there yeah so that one but the one that kind of surprised me but makes sense now that i'm here Derek white to boston i didn't think that they were going to give up on him but they have Dejounte. they have Dejounte, and devin vassell is getting 30 plus minutes a game so it was just like oh my boy's gonna my boy's getting highlighted now devin vassell's actually gonna show johnson at the three i I text you that is a really nice one, two, three with DeJounte, Keldon Johnson, and uh, Devin Vassell. And I, I texted you, if the Spurs get the top two picks, one of the top two, either Chet or Jabari, they are probably going to be dynasty again. Just give it give it time. They're so well-balanced, so well-coached. That, that is their, their missing piece that they have right there because everything else is really falling into place. Uh, yeah, I, I thought that was a really good trade for, for both teams. I, I liked Boston shaking it up, getting Derek White. I liked San Antonio acquiring uh, picks. Um, I think San Antonio kind of shows you how it's done. Like the, they, they move a player, that they get an asset, what they want. They're still going to be pretty competitive. Um, the deal that was the biggest, like I know everyone was like surprised by uh, the Philly-Brooklyn deal, but seeing the, the Mavs move Chris Stapps, for Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans. And that Davis Bertans contract is a hunk. It's a hunkin'. I mean, that is a lengthy, big old hoagie Subway sandwich that you're going to have to take like three dinners to finish. Uh, I, How I, good does Davis Bertans have to, like, does he have to return to this guy could be the fourth or third guy on a championship team? He'll he'll Level never he'll never perform to that that contract. What he needs to do is he needs to be a floor spacer, and every time Luca gets him open, hit his shots. I don't hate the player. I hate the contract. Yeah. It doesn't I mean, make it, sense. Apparently, for either the team. beef between Luca and Chris Stapps was real. Otherwise, there's really no other rhyme or reason to to make that trade. If if you're Dallas, my thought was that they were going to trade Jalen Brunson because he's going to he's going to get paid. So Spencer Dinwiddie was going to be the Brunson replacement and Maybe I was waiting Brunson insurance because right now next year their backcourt is is crowded with Tim Hardaway Jr. Brunson Spencer Dinwiddie and Luka Doncic have you been hearing that people don't get along with Spencer Dinwiddie he's left like multiple teams early not that's something that I've been hearing is that people just don't like him so 
but it, it doesn't make sense for Dallas to take on all of the salary for two players that are questionable fits. The one that was the biggest head scratcher to me was the Houston Boston trade getting Daniel Thice back like in that crowded front court and $9 million. Like that is a lot of money for a rotation big for players that are going to get bought out eventually by Houston. It's just seemed I like, mean, why are you doing this trade? Daniel I think Thice it was isn't a that Brad guy. Stevens culture. I think he, he remembered having Tice and having success with him. I, the Schroeder experiment clearly didn't work. Um, I don't know if it was just bad fit or, or Dennis being uncertain about, you know, getting, Making, making a really bad decision and not accepting the Lakers extension and base, basically being like, I'm uh, on my last year, my deal that can really fuck with a lot of players. And it, it just wasn't working. So that's why I love them going out and getting Derek white. Um, and maybe the taking on the extra money doesn't hurt them in terms of the luxury tax. So they were able to do that. And I would assume there would have been a larger market for Schroeder. I don't think he would have just taken that deal, but who knows? Uh, who do you think won that Philly Brooklyn deal? Because Philly went all in moving two picks, Seth Curry, who I love, and now they're going to play Harden and Embiid in big egos, big personalities. Both probably feel like they are they're two alphas, basically. Absolutely. Two alphas. I think Philly won the trade because like let's look at what is happening with the Brooklyn Nets in terms of their star players. Katie's hurt and it's going to be out a long time. Ben Simmons is going to take a while to readjust. And then you have Kyrie Irving as like a a half half the games sage futures advice. If there's like a legitimate good props for the uh, future props for Brooklyn, not making the playoffs, I would, I would put some money on it because there is a chance that they do not hit the 10th seed with the injuries and then the ha- like readjusting to new circumstances. So by default, I have to go with uh, Philly getting James Harden just because I know that that team is going to make the playoffs. It's, it might take a while to adjust, but there is a world where shit doesn't work out for Brooklyn and everybody leaves. Yeah, I think honestly it's a trade where both teams win. Um, you look at, at Brooklyn, they clearly, it was fascinating to find out that the trio of Harden, Irving, and Durant had only played 16 games together when Harden got dealt to Brooklyn. I was like, here we go again. Here's another super team. That's just going to run through the NBA and whether it was injuries or, or vaccine mandates, whatever the hurdle was, they could never clear it. And it kind of blew up and it seemed like Harden kind of quit on his franchise and you could kind of tell there was legitimate beef when Durant did not choose him in that all-star draft. So getting a, an unpleasant player out of your locker room, I think it is a win. I think it's a good chance to take a flyer on Ben Simmons because he can play some defense. It's a lot of length in that front court with uh, Kevin Durant. They, they get two picks. So if, even if they don't win this year, they're able to get Joe Harris back next year use some picks and have some more flexibility. Who knows? I think Kyrie is still a wild card, but he wasn't part of this trade. I do like it uh, for Philly a lot. Their pick this year wasn't going to be super high. They have young players in Matisse Thibel and Tyrese Maxey. Joel Embiid, given his injury history, 
you really have to take any advantage and, and go all in when he's playing at potentially the MVP peak that he's playing at right now. So you have to roll the dice a bit. And honestly, I don't think you're going to get a better return than James Harden for Ben Simmons. Um, but it is a two-year window because Philly is going to pay James Harden buku bucks. And we're going to be talking in two to three years about James Harden's deal like everyone talks about John Wall and Russell Westbrook. Uh, so they better win it now, but it, it's looking like Milwaukee, Philly, uh, Eastern Conference Finals could be absolutely disgustingly good. Seth Curry was the only active player that's good that they traded away, really. Yeah, Andre Drummond wasn't it. Andre Drummond is not going to play in the playoffs. No. If Brooklyn makes the playoffs, he is not playing. And if he was on Philly, he is not playing his 14 minutes a game for Philly. Joel Embiid's playing 45 minutes a game for Philly, or they don't win. So, I don't know. It's not that much like actual on-court investment that they gave up. Of course, the picks hurt, but you know, you you put Tyrese Maxey in a position that he's better suited for. Him running point, like it was one of those things where it was just like the fits okay, but I see him more as like a guy taking advantage of James Harden's ability to break out, break down that defense, and then him linking and making the correct play. He's not the guy that creates the the mismatch. So putting Tyrese in a position that's better for him. And Joel Embiid, like the last last month and a half, his usage rate was like 46%. So 46% of the points, assists, and turnovers that happened when he was on the court for Philly was because of him. At least now he's not going to have to like be that maniac of usage. He has a legitimate guy to run the offense with him. So you know, it, it's probably going to be better for him because he doesn't have to do literally everything when he's on the court. Last general NBA trade I want to touch on because I think it somewhat is flying under the radar because it happened so early and it got overshadowed by the deadline. But you have Sacramento and Indiana swapping really good young parts, but I get the sense that Sacramento fans are very upset that the team chose De'Aaron Fox Mm -hmm. over Tyrese Halliburton and acquiring uh, Sabonis just kind of continues to logjam that front court. And also, let's not forget, yes, Malcolm Brogdon is out for the year, but they now would have Duarte, Brogdon, and Halliburton. So there's definitely got to be more moves for for Indiana. Who do you like that that deal for? It seems value-wise pretty fair, but... I, I mean, like, I, I'm in the position of Sacramento probably should, I don't know, like, giving up Halliburton, who is very, very good for a guy that offensively is great, but defensively is pretty trash. I feel like Halliburton has a chance to be, like, the a legitimate core member of a good team. Sabonis is going to get a lot of empty calorie stats, and, you know, they might get the 10th seed, because I think that's the goal for New Orleans and Sacramento, but it's losing to the Warriors and having a lesser pick really worth that. And I, I think the, one of the biggest head scratchers to me was you had uh Rashawn Holmes. They had Rashawn Holmes. Like what is his role for this team? I would have traded him and gotten positive value for Holmes. He, he, he could help a legitimately good, like a, a team hit higher heights in the playoffs and, He's chilling in Sacramento, not having a, a real defined role. So 
it was confusing. I think Indiana has it has a better chance of, you know, rebuilding because Halliburton's a legitimately good playmaker. And, you know, he, I think he got like 20 points, 17 assists in, in one of the games. Buddy Heald is actually, I think Buddy Heald leaving Sacramento is kind of huge as well for, for Buddy as a player because, you know, he didn't really get along with Sacramento's like coaches and people at the head of Sacramento. So him having that independence and being able to show what he can do is, is pretty good for him. So I, I think that the Indiana Pacers won that trade. And I mean, they traded Karis Levert and got draft capital too. So if, if they hit on those picks, it's going to be, it's going to be better for the, uh, the Pacers. And I heard Miles Turner is excited about playing with Halliburton. So. Yeah. He's probably... and, and, and then Brogdon, if he's healthy, is a really good player. So they can, I think that the, that backcourt can work together because Halliburton's biggest thing is breaking down the defense. And we've seen Malcolm Brogdon do that. He doesn't have the athleticism that you'd want, but he can break down the defense and make things happen for Halliburton to take advantage of. So that, that backcourt could work in theory. All right, Sage, let's look at the week that is upcoming for the Trailblazers short because the all-star break is vastly quickly approaching just two games on the slate that we will touch on, both on the road Monday against the defending champion Milwaukee Bucks, Wednesday against the one of the Western Conference elite Memphis Grizzlies, teams that Portland has seen uh, already this year. Portland is actually 2-1 and one on the year against the Grizz, even winning in Memphis earlier this year. And they just recently got a taste of Giannis and the Bucks uh, on Saturday the 5th, losing by 29 points. Yeah, Giannis had like 21 minutes of game time. Yeah, uh, what do you expect <laughs> in both of these games? I think Giannis is going to go for like he's going to go for like 28 points, 15 rebounds, and seven assists in 23 minutes, and it's going to be a blowout. I mean, who? I think Josh Hart is going to defend either uh, Middleton or Drew, but who the hell is going to defend Giannis? Justice Winslow. <laughs> so yeah, that, that, that's a, that's going to be a problem. So we're eventually going to see Greg Brown defending Giannis or Trenton because you can't put Yusuf on him, and then you're putting Yusuf on Bobby, Bobby Portis, who's going to stretch us out. I, I really think this is going to be a three quarter performance from the Bucks, and then we're going to see Giannis's brother take over in the fourth quarter. I, I don't think this will be a close game whatsoever. And then what about Memphis? I think we'll do better. Like, I feel like we're better built to defend the Memphis Grizzlies because they do run that traditional center in Stephen Adams. I mean, Jaron Jackson's going to have a humongous advantage over uh, uh, Justice. They just have a lot of size and depth. Yeah. I mean, is Josh Hart going to defend uh, John Morant and kind of get it exposed as a good defender, not a great one? Like, they have a lot of players that can kill us. I remember Desmond Bain. The reason we won the first game of this year was because Desmond Bain got a cut on his head and was out. He was dominating us. I don't see – we're going to have to play extremely disciplined to beat them, and I just don't know if we have it in them. So I think the Grizzlies game will be closer, but it's 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 not good. I mean, these two teams are pretty they're – top, they're elite top-tier teams, and we aren't elite in anything currently well, Memphis has the third best record in, in the league and the Bucks are the defending champions. So it, it doesn't get much tougher on a two game uh, road trip than that. 
Uh, Sage, before we wrap it up, it's February uh, 13th. So there's still probably approximately two months left in the season. Right now, what are your thoughts on bringing back Yusuf Nurkic? It's been probably his best season, full season, since the 2019 campaign. Maybe look the best he's looked since that bubble in uh, the summer of 2020. Do you bring him back? Do you let him walk? If you bring him back, how, how much are you bringing him back for? And we'll continue to do this on about a monthly basis just to kind of, you know, test the, get the temperature. You know, it depends on who we draft, really. We'll have the ability to see who we draft before we make that decision on Yusuf because draft is before free agency. If we had like Chet Holmgren or uh, Jalen Duran, yeah, I would, I would honestly be fine with having Yusuf on the team for a few more years and then trading him. But if we get like not, not a potential center that needs time to like gain confidence and learn how to be a pro, I'd, if we can get like a sign and trade for something, I, I probably would do it. But um, it, it all depends on who we draft in the draft before we make that ultimate decision on Yusuf for me. All right. What I about you? About, go ahead. No, what about you with the Yusuf thing? I think it depends also where the lottery picks fall. Oh, definitely. Um, if you bring him back, He's making 12 now. I don't want to see that exceed 15. I, I just don't think a center, unless you're Embiid, unless you're Jokic, uh, is really worth that much in, in today's NBA. Uh, we, we've seen just so much inconsistency from, from Nurkic this year where he looks like an all-NBA performer one game and then he looks like a reserve center the next game. Like He does facilitate really well, but he also is a player that that needs the ball in in his hands. And we're seeing him get that opportunity, but that's because one Damian Lillard is not on the floor and he is going to eat up a ton of that usage. I mean, he is going to have the ball in his hands. So yes, I know Yusuf is really good on the pick and roll, but he also really excels as as a play as a secondary playmaker. So I, I don't know if you're able to say, Yusuf, can you go back to being the fourth option on offense? That that's not going to work for him. He doesn't stay engaged on the defensive end. You're not get, you're not opening up his full you know repertoire on, on the offensive end of the floor by making him the fourth option. I personally don't see the fit. That's just me. Given if you're trying to win, if you're trying to bring in pieces, you're gonna have you're gonna need better pieces than Yusuf to win right now, right? Like if if Yusuf is your third best player you're probably not going to contend. He needs to be your fourth or fifth best. And that's not trying to be an asshole. I think that's just kind of um, what it has to be. We, we've seen that the big three of Dame, CJ, Nurk did, didn't cut the mustard. Mm. So you have to I, I feel like if we, we had Chet, I'm much more willing to think about keeping Yusuf. Yes. And that's where I, you know, I think like, you keep Yusuf for a couple of years. Yeah, you can't, Chet you can't put gross. Chet out there against Sabonis. No. Or, you know, whoever, you know, I've, and this is a plug for our next future Friday, but I'm loving what I'm seeing from Walker Kessler this year. So if the New Orleans pick is like 10 to 12, yeah, you could easily scoop up Kessler in in that range. And now you have your, your center for the future and you're going to want to give him reps. You could find a Mason Plumlee type center at a really good price point to play your 30, 35 minutes and then allow you to bring Kessler along. So I'm totally with you. I think it really all depends upon 
how what we're looking like come draft time with the assets. And if you do bring him back, I, I think there's there's a cap. Uh, like, I think there's I, a cap on years too. Because yes. if you're bringing him back, it's to support Chet or Jalen or another big, right? So you don't want him to be there for five years because that's when that's when the the jump is going to happen. So you and don't those want contracts him. are hard to move. Like if you have to pivot again, we saw with Norman Powell, like that's a long deal to eat for a team, regardless of how talented the player is. So so maybe- I would do like a two year, three year thing. If, if like if if Chet needed that. Yeah, I'll give him a two or three, but there's no way that I'm giving him more than a three-year deal if we get Chet. I'm honestly timing it up with, with Dame's player option. Like That that actually makes a lot of sense. That's so I, I, I don't do. know when the player option is off the top. I think it's in 24, 25. So, so I would... Two? Yeah, t- yeah, I think a two and then a three would, would, would make sense. Um, because you have to be ready to pivot if you decide to move off of Dame or Dame's, you know, leaving after that season or, or that they can't come to terms on a contract extension. Or Chet's just so fucking good that he needs all the center minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So it it really depends. If you do bring him back, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but it's got to be on. What about with Jabari? Like if we just luck out completely and we get Jabari, what is your opinion on keeping Yusuf there? If we get Jabari, we could do over the fuck what we want, Sage. I would just, <laughs> that that that's the dream. If you get Jabari or Chet, Joe Cronin, go go crazy. Just let me watch Jabari or Chet on this team. That's 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 what this year is about for me. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm just like, I don't give a shit. Just just lose. I yeah. want Jabari or Chet or Jaden. Like there are some absolute game changers in this draft. So let's just. When, when that draft lottery comes around in May, well, let's have all of the luck that we can possibly secure. Mm-hmm. All right. We are out of here. We will be back Friday to talk about the Auburn LSU game. There are three NBA, real NBA prospects on this in this game. Tari Eason, Walker Kessler, and of course, the future first overall first round pick, Jabari Smith. And then there's another guy, uh, his last name is Fudge, but I don't remember his first name, but he's on LSU as well. So there are four potential uh, pro players in this game. So be on the lookout for that. It'll drop probably Thursday night, not Friday. So peace out, everybody. We're out. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go.